0: Well, for those of you visiting with us today, it is so good that you're with us. So glad uh, to be able to celebrate this time of year with you. Uh, I pray safe travels in your return back to wherever you're going uh, to. uh, And just to update you about our sermon series uh, for Advent, we are looking at the themes of Advent, the traditional themes of hope Uh, joy, peace, love, and then tomorrow we'll have our Christmas Day service right back here at 9.30. uh, If you'd like to come join us, and we will look at uh, Christ himself from John chapter 1, where John the Apostle introduces Christ to us. And today, for love, uh, as you've seen throughout the service, we've been singing about God's great love for us. Uh, We'll be using 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 8a, and that can be found on page number 1140. And that will help frame our thoughts on the subject of love today. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we've sung about your great love for us. And as we come to your word, Father, we pray that you would help us understand how wide and long and deep and high is your love for us. Help us understand what love is, that we may bask even more in your love for us, and that we may know how to love others, God. Because you have loved us. It is our desire, Father, to love others as you've loved us, in spite of our sinfulness. And so we pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to us through your word toward that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this passage is uh, probably familiar to most people, even if you're not familiar with the Bible Uh, This is the famous love passage used in weddings. It contains some of the most beautiful and poetic words ever penned. And the reason I think people are drawn to a passage like this is because when we read it or we hear it, it stirs something within us. It stirs the desire to be loved like this, but also to love others in this way, sort of the same way the season of Advent stirs up similar emotions where we long to share love with our family and our friends. We look to the Christmas season with the hope of loving and being loved in a deeply satisfying way. But while this passage does have the ability to stir within us a desire to love and be loved, it's also very helpful because it helps us understand precisely what love is is. It helps us see what loving and being loved is truly like. And that's important uh, because we live in a culture that reminds us that all we need is love. We live in a culture that tells us that love is love, which logically is true. Of course, love is itself. But what is love? If love is love and love is all we need, what is this thing that is itself and it's all we need? And this passage answers that question for us. So this morning, we will see what love is. So first, we're going to look at the need for love. And then the definition of love. And finally, the God who is love. So first, the need for love. As we've already pointed out, this is that passage that's used in weddings because it's one of the most beautifully written passages of Scripture, but it is the 13th chapter in a letter. This is not the random poem about love that some use it as. Paul's describing the need and the nature of love for a reason. He's in the middle of an argument here. You see, members of the Corinthian church had been given some wonderful spiritual gifts. Some were very impressive and others not as much. And chapters 12 through 14 are all about these spiritual gifts and how we're to use whatever gifts that God has given to us to love and to serve and to build up other believers. But the Corinthians wanted spiritual gifts gifts just for the experience of them. They wanted impressive gifts so others would think that they are impressive people. And the most popular gift in the Corinthian church was the gift of tongues. And tongues is the ability to speak and be understood in another language. Now we spend years in language study to take the gospel to foreign nations. But at that time, God had given the church. The gift of tongues to help in the rapid spread of the gospel. And as you might imagine, the experience of speaking in tongues would be quite exhilarating. Just think about it. Imagine you don't know Russian, but you go up to someone who only speaks Russian and you begin to speak with them. And they hear you and understand you. So it's this this amazing experience where he knows that you know, that you both know, that you don't know Russian. Russian. And yet, he understands you. How amazing would that be? It's a whole lot more interesting than folding the church bulletin. Or putting out chairs for the Sunday service. Or even preaching a sermon. And Paul's writing to let the Corinthians know that the gift of tongues is not actually all that special. As wonderful as tongues are. They do very little to build up our fellow Christians in the church because no one in the church can understand them unless there happens to be someone there who speaks that language and can interpret. So even though it's an exhilarating gift to use, even though it's fascinating to imagine how this happens, the the truth is tongues are really kind of pointless for the ordinary day in and day out life of the church. That's why in Paul's list of gifts in chapter 12, he puts tongues at the end. To Paul, tongues are the least desirable gift. Instead, Paul wants them to desire the higher gifts, and then he says especially prophecy. At that time, there were still prophets in the church because the Bible was still being written. And to have someone who could prophesy would really build up the church, because prophecy is direct revelation from God. And without a complete Bible like we have now, prophecy helped provide the early church with the whole counsel of God. And Paul's basically saying, wouldn't you rather hear directly from God than hear and listen to somebody speak in a language that you don't even understand? Now it's neat and cool that they can do that, but isn't it so much better to hear God's very words? So that's the context of 1 Corinthians 13. It's not a random poem about love. What Paul is saying is that they should desire the spiritual gifts, most importantly the higher higher gifts like prophecy, and in that context then the point of 1 corinthians 13 is that none of the gifts would matter without love you could be the most impressive gift displaying person in the world but without love paul says it's pointless so right before our passage paul says this but earnestly desire the higher gifts so yes desire spiritual gifts Earnestly desire the higher gifts, even. These are really good things. They help you love one another so well when you use your gifts. And while you're doing that, while you're desiring those spiritual gifts, Paul wants to show us a still more excellent way, and that is the way of love. Which brings us to our passage today. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, He mentions tongues, which is probably a reference to the gift of tongues, given the context, but could also include uh, the gift of you know, speaking well, being an eloquent speaker. And then he says, if I speak in the tongues of angels, which is his exaggerated way of saying, if I speak in the most beautiful tongue you can imagine, if he speaks in the most beautiful tongue imaginable, if he's such a great prophet that he can expound on all mysteries and all knowledge, if he has all the faith in the world so that he can move a mountain, which is probably a reference to Jesus' words about only needing the faith of a mustard seed to be able to move a mountain, and if he lives such a self-sacrificial life that he gives everything away, even laying down his life for others, If he does all of that, but doesn't have love, it is nothing. Why? Isn't there some benefit to those things even without love? Not really. Because the only reason we would want to do any of that without love is for our own gain so that people would think how great we are. Without love, we would be doing these things to lead people to ourselves instead of to God, and we are not enough for them. The Corinthians wanted their spiritual gifts for their own glory, but love is not selfish like that. Love is not all about us, Love is not about someone else thinking how wonderful we are. It's not even about our personal feelings and emotions, although love can produce wonderful feelings and emotions. But if that's what we think and if that's what we expect, then Paul wants us to know that's going to come off about as well as a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Just imagine if you took a cymbal from a drum set and you began to bang it against another cymbal on the drum set randomly and off beat, it would be the, the worst sound you could imagine. That's what it's like to be a really impressive person without love. But if we love, then we speak so others may know God. If we love, then we prophesy so others can hear God speak. If we love, we give of ourselves so that others might be moved to consider the truth and the beauty and the goodness of God. You see the difference, don't you? So love is necessary because love is what motivates us to use the gifts God has given us to lead others to him instead of to ourselves because there's only really two options. We're either drawing others to God or we're leading them away. And if we're leading people back to ourselves we may do great things, we may feel all kinds of wonderful things, but that's not love. Today or tomorrow, many of us will gather for a Christmas meal, and someone is in the family is going to slave over potatoes and pies and hams and turkeys. And the question is, will, will they be doing that to bless their family? Or will they be doing that to earn a blessing from their family? Will we work to provide a place where everyone can gather and enjoy the goodness of God? Or will we work to provide evidence for why everyone should rise up and call us blessed? The first one is beautiful. It draws us in. It points everyone to God. And the second is nothing. It's, it's random. It's like the rhythm of an offbeat clanging cymbal. In fact, it ruins everything. Love is necessary because without love, everything we do, even if it's the greatest thing imaginable, is for us and about us, and that's not enough for anyone. So what is this thing called love that we need so desperately? When our culture says that all you need is love, or that love is love, what they're talking about is the warm emotions and feelings that sometimes accompany love. And if we could just experience those warm feelings forever, then we would have all we need. Or if someone is experiencing those warm feelings with someone else, who are we to take that away from them? Or who are we to say who they should get to experience that with? Because love is love. It's this unpredictable, random experience of goodness that everyone deserves, and we should just hold on to tightly for as long as we have it. But as Paul goes on here to define for us what love actually is, notice there's no mention of warm feelings or emotions. Because true love is about denying ourselves and doing what is right and best for the person that we love. Paul writes this, he says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. One of the things that struck me is that Paul says love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not this, that, or the other. Which is interesting because he doesn't say, love treats people with patience. That's true, of course. But his actual words are, love is patient. So love treats people with patience because it flows from a heart that is patient. I can can treat someone with patience, while my impatient heart is screaming inside me, and they may never know the difference. But what Paul is saying here is different than that. He's saying love actually is patient by nature, because love is not selfish. I can appear patient with someone like a clanging cymbal trying to get something I want for me. Or I can deny myself and be patient with someone because I want to give something wonderful to them. That's the difference. So what could possibly be so wonderful that we could want it for someone so much That it would motivate us to be patient from the heart, no matter how much people frustrate us. What could we possibly want for someone that we would be willing to lay aside our own desires and our own frustrations so that they could have it? And the answer to that question would be that they would know God. That they would know the love of God. Nothing else is valuable enough for us to give up our own desires or demands. If we're not being patient so that others will know God, eventually our patience will wear thin, even if you're the Dalai Lama. Because real love wants to do everything it can to help whoever it loves know the truth and the beauty and the goodness of God. And that kind of love is patient by nature. There's no end to it because that's what it is. It's coming from the infinite heart of God. And that kind of love is kind, which means it's inviting, it's, it's welcoming, it's willing to overcome evil with good. It doesn't envy. So it's not jealous or angry. Instead, love truly rejoices when someone else re- receives good things. It doesn't boast when it receives good things. So if you receive the promotion, if you are chosen as the starter on the team ahead of me, love rejoices. If I'm chosen ahead of you, love does not boast. Because love would never do anything that would stand in the way of you knowing what God is like. Which is why love isn't arrogant or rude, It doesn't treat other people as if it's more deserving than them. It doesn't insist on its own way. In fact, it lays aside its rights so that others may know God. Love is not irritable or resentful. It's, It's pleasant with other people, happy to have them. It's not angry if they're honored above it. And love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. And this is the key to Paul's definition of love. Many non-Christians are patient and kind in many ways, but if we're not leading people to God, we are doing wrong. If our patience and our kindness is leading people anywhere but God, or leading them to trust in anything but God, ultimately, we're leading them away from God, even with our apparent virtue. Because love doesn't rejoice in anything God calls sin And the first commandment is that we shall have no other gods before him. And so love bears all things, including the frustrations of others and the sinful desires inside our own hearts that would harm others, no matter how long we have to endure them. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So love thinks the best of others. Love hopes for the best for others. And love endures anything so that others might receive what is best. And of course, the very best anyone could have is to know God. The greatest desire we should have for ourselves and others, the desire that should fuel our patience and kindness and our willingness to to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things, is that others would know Christ. In Philippians, Paul says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So nothing this life has to offer, nothing suffering can take away, is worth comparing to the wonder and the joy of knowing Christ. Listen to Jesus' words from John 17. He says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So love is the actions that flow out of a heart that desires above all else that others would know God. Let me say that again. Love is the actions that flow out of a heart that desires above all else that others would know God. That's why in John 3.16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. His, His giving of his only son was the action that flowed out of his desire that people would know God. Right? He shows his love for us. He, he demonstrates it in action in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say, for God so loved the world, that he felt so many warm feelings for us, but that he gave his only son. And that is the kind of love Paul's talking about when he says, Love never ends. There is a kind of love that grows cold. There is a kind of love that only loves if it's loved in return. But that's not real love. That's not the kind of love we crave. That's the kind of love we fear. We all crave love that never ends. So, how can we know this love that never ends? How can we give away this love that never ends? Well, we have to know the God who is love. I don't know about you, but when I consider the kind of love Paul's describing in 1 Corinthians 13, I can't help but think of how poorly I love others. how often i'm actually a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal especially as a pastor when he talks about speaking with the tongue of an angel i i want to speak with the tongue of an angel that sounds great to me i desire to reveal knowledge and mysteries but in my sinful heart i want something for it But in spite of my sin, I really, really desire to love others in this way. And I imagine every single one of you do too. I desire to love my wife and my children in this church. I desire to be patient with even my enemies and kind and willing to bear all things and believe all things and hope all things and endure all things If that's what it would cost for them to know God more or to even come to know him for the first time. But I can't change my heart, right? Just like the Bible says, a leopard can't change its spots. And knowing that, John, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote this to the church he was pastoring. He said this, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love because he first loved us. You see, the secret to loving others is knowing and believing and resting in how much God loves you. And God has loved us by sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins, which is just this really big word that simply means Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. We know we're guilty. We know we don't even live up to our own standard of right or wrong, let alone God's standard. And Jesus paid the price. He satisfied the justice and the wrath of God in our place. He gave his life that we would have eternal life, which is to know God. And Jesus did this while we were his enemies. He did it because he is patient and kind with us by nature. He does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. Even though he is the king of heaven, he does not insist on his own way. In fact, Jesus, as we read earlier, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but emptied himself, And he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is what we mean at Christmas when we say love came down. He emptied himself by becoming one of us, out of love for us. And so when we consider Jesus as a baby in a manger, destined to live and die on a cross, we are considering love itself Jesus is never irritable or resentful, even when they were nailing him to the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but always rejoices in the truth, because he is the way and the truth and the life. He bore all things to the point of bearing all our sins on the cross. And when he opens our eyes to see all that he's done for us and how much we've sinned against him, that is how we know his love being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Or do we presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? He's patient with us and kind with us so that we would know God so that we would repent of our sins and trust in somebody who embodies perfect patience and kindness. Because he is love. It is his nature to have mercy. And all we do is receive his love as a free gift through repentance and faith. And when we do, he remakes us all too slowly into those who can love others with patience and kindness. I don't know about you, but it's, it's hard for me to imagine how much God loves us. Sometimes I feel it when I'm singing a song. When I'm singing how deep the Father's love for us. I can, I can almost feel how much God loves us. But, but it's hard for me to even even put it into words, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around it. In fact, I, I, I think when I read the New Testament, when I read the whole Bible, it's like the, the writers of Scripture, it's like they're, they're, they're walking out to the, the far end of what language can even do to help us understand God's love for us. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays for the church that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So God's love is wider and higher and longer and deeper than we can even imagine. It, it's, it surpasses knowledge. And this morning we're going to close by singing a song called The Love of God. And it has a verse that goes like this Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. And so the picture is of, of the ocean filled with ink and paper spread across the entire sky and every human being with a pen writing all about the love of God until the, until the ocean is drained dry of ink. And, and when that happens, there's no more ink in the ocean. We've barely begun. We've barely begun to understand how much God loves And with this love in mind, the writer of the Hebrews encourages us in the midst of our struggle against our own sin to love others well. He tells us to keep looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And what was that joy that was set before Jesus, that he was willing to endure the cross and scorn its shame That joy was that you would know him. Isn't that amazing? He loved you so much that he was willing to be crushed on the cross. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying to the Father, pleading with him that there would be another way? That story is there to remind us that Jesus wasn't filled with warm feelings and emotions as he went to the cross, but he was filled with love. He was looking forward to the joy of saving sinners like us. And Paul writes to the Corinthians and he captures the essence of love, which should remind all of us of the love we've received from God And it is through the love God has given us that we are able to love as God calls us to love. And this Christmas, let us remember that this love came down from heaven. It took on flesh, it walked among us, and he gave himself that we might know him and be like him. Let's pray. Father, Gratitude is the only response that is appropriate for the love that you have shown us by giving us your Son, by making a way that that we might know you, which is a surpassing value. Nothing in this earth is more wonderful, more praiseworthy than you and knowing you, God. I pray as we reflect on the fact that you sent your son to this earth and that he took on flesh, I pray, Father, that we would be amazed at the love that you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.